following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. It's included on nearly every list of the most impressive structures in the world. Located in the tiny South Asian nation known as Singapore, this marvelous edifice includes a luxury hotel with more than 2,500 rooms. The structure includes a, a, a massive con convention center, a museum, a shopping mall, an indoor ice skating rink. It includes one of the largest casinos in the world. Opened in the year 2010 to wealthy clientele, the Mandalay, the, 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 the Marina Bay Sands Resort, cost nearly $7 billion to construct. You may have seen it. It's been featured in several movies, even included on reality shows like The Amazing Race. The structure includes three 57 foot, three 57 story towers side by side and suspended above the three towers, 1100 feet long, what's called the Sky Park. Structured to look like a long luxury ocean liner. Suspended 700 feet above, above the ground, the, the Sky Park includes an observation deck, of course, but there's also a, a jogging track, a park with, with hundreds of different species of, of plants and trees and, and the longest suspended swimming pool in the world. Many of the folks who describe Marina Bay Sands Resort use the word futuristic, as in, this is where the human race is headed in the future. We're going to build more structures like this, not only on this earth, but someday in, uh, on, on, on distant planets. And when we do that, we'll make sure that all those luxuries are available to, to everyone. We'll stamp out poverty. While we're at it, we'll eradicate disease. We'll ensure prosperity and peace to every nation. The futuristic hotels and futuristic homes and futuristic vehicles of this present age, people are saying they're an indication of, of the future of the human race, that it is bright and beautiful and enduring. In the same spirit, similar mood, crowds following Jesus to Jerusalem had come with him for the festival of, of the Passover. And as they stood outside the city on the Mount of Olives, they gazed in wonder at the temple complex that King Herod the Great had recently rebuilt. You might remember something about the temple. The first temple was constructed by King Solomon over uh, about a thousand years earlier. 
Solomon's temple was intended to be the, the, the center of worship and the center of the, the life of the nation of Israel for the, for the everlasting future. But Babylonian armies invaded, and when they did, they destroyed the temple completely. A number of decades later, the second temple was built on the same site, but it was a somewhat modest building until King Herod, who called himself the Great, rose to power, brought in architects from Greece and Egypt and Rome with slaves and engineers laboring over the course of 46 years. He, he raised the, the, the level of the courtyard that surrounded the, the, the sanctuary and, and expanded it. The second temple, constructed by, rebuilt by Herod the Great, had a courtyard so vast, they say that as many as 300,000 pilgrims coming for festivals could gather in that one space. He constructed porticos around the perimeter of of the temple courtyards, each with ornate columns. He built beautiful gates for grand entrance into this complex. And the sanctuary itself, where the priests would present offerings on behalf of the people and prayers for them, the sanctuary, that building itself, he covered with gold plates and white marble. Anyone looking at the structure had to be impressed. As they paused on the Mount of Olives and and gazed at it. These disciples following Jesus must have been thinking what an awe-inspiring structure. It promises a a beautiful and bright and enduring future for for the people of the Lord. In fact, for every nation, as they come and gather at this place, the future couldn't be better. But while they were admiring that structure, Jesus sent shockwaves through the crowd of disciples. As I imagine it, he gestured in the direction of the temple complex, and he said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. None of these disciples scoffed at what Jesus said. A number of them believed him to be the Messiah and the Son of God. So they asked questions about this. They asked when and they asked what. It's a teacher. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? As we read, Jesus answered them immediately, but his answer was not just intended for for the future of Jerusalem and the second temple. It wasn't just for that particular gathering of, of disciples. His words are for you and me right here. His words are for the future of the whole church and the, the future of the human race. Can I walk through his words with you? The first thing he said in regard to the future Watch out. Many will come in my name, claiming my authority, claiming to be Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He said, do not follow them. 
He went on to say, whenever you hear of wars and acts of rebellion, do not be frightened. These things have to happen first. But the end of all things will not happen right away. It's at this point, Jesus' words go the direct opposite of the desire of every human heart. You and I and all people wish for the, for the future to, to, to bring an end to war. Likewise, we pray for a, an end of disease and an end of uh, natural disasters and an end of man-made calamities. We wish for a future where, where the, the love of God will renew the nations and, and, and the love of Christ will, will bring peace and joy and, 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 and good behaviors to all people. Poets pen words about a future bringing harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding. Musicians speak about how peace will, will guide the, the planets and love will steer the stars, but Jesus never promised an age of Aquarius. He never promised a, a golden age for the human race. He foretold the opposite. And it turns out his words have already been fulfilled over and over and over. Historians say that over a period of 3,000 years, the disease known as smallpox claimed over 500 million lives. Starting in the early, in, in the 1950s, the smallpox vaccine made remarkable progress. And in 1977, the United Nations announced that smallpox had been eradicated from the face of the earth. But in the meantime, yeah, in the meantime, other diseases continued to destroy human lives. Other illnesses and ailments and cancers and epidemics and, yes, even an occasional pandemic caused hundreds of thousands and millions of lives. They don't seem to be going away, do they? Despite humanity's so-called progress. Perhaps you remember the, the earthquake that struck the San Francisco Bay Area during the 1989 World Series. Apparently, that earthquake and its aftershocks caused $10 billion in damage and 63 lives. But since then, sometimes less in the, in the headlines than they ought to be, there have been even more damaging earthquakes that have caused hundreds of thousands of lives in, in places like Afghanistan, Indonesia, China, Nepal, Japan, even not that far from us in, in the nation of Haiti. At first, they called it Armistice Day. On November 11, 1918, they announced a truce. They told millions of soldiers who were suffering during the, during the Great War that they could lay down their weapons and, and stop fighting one another. Eight years later, the United States Congress declared a, a federal holiday with that name. The holiday was to mark the end of the war, to end all wars, and to promote the cause of, 
of world peace, Armistice Day. This past week, you noticed it again. That name for the national holiday didn't last because in 1940, another horrific war began. And when that war ended, not long afterwards, there was another war and another war and another war. It seems that there are multiple wars happening on the earth at the same time, even now. Now they call it Veterans Day to honor those who have defended our nation, preparing for armed conflicts that apparently the list of them will never end. Jesus' words about the future continue to hold true. He said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes famines, and the spread of disease in various places, and fearful events. These, you might say, are the signs that the end of all things is on its way. You and I are wise to remind one another of that whenever we hear about another war, another earthquake, another national, natural or man-made calamity. We're wise to remind ourselves that the end of the world is coming closer. You and I can say that when the spread of disease strikes close to home and family. We can say what Jesus said. These are signs of the end of all things. And when we hear about Christians being arrested and put on trial and and, and put to death because they defend the, the reputation of Jesus Christ. When we hear them courageously continue to testify that there really is only one Savior from this present situation, and his name is Jesus. When they defend themselves with words and wisdom that have to come from the Lord Jesus himself. When we watch with amazement as God's people endure painful tests and, 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 and trials in their final days, and yet remain faithful even to their last breath, we can say what Jesus said. These two are among the signs that we're living in the world's end times. If you were to visit Jerusalem today, you could stand with your tour group on that same Mount of Olives and, and gaze across the Kidron Valley at the, the temple complex. The sanctuary itself, that impressive structure where the priests would, would bring the offerings and the prayers of the people and then pronounce God's blessing to them. The sanctuary itself is no longer there. Roman army with 20,000 soldiers 40 years after Jesus said this surrounded the city and leveled the, the sanctuary but the vast courtyard is still there and it's still quite impressive the exterior walls that, that raised up that courtyard are, are still standing in fact those walls are pretty impressive your tour guide can take you to stand next to the wall where these tremendous stones quarried are stacked one on the other. He can encourage you to, 
to take a selfie of, of yourself standing before the one that's called the, the Western Stone. It's, it's a single stone that's 45 feet long and, and 13 feet high, and, and they, they say it weighs over, over 500 tons. They say it may be the largest building stone in the entire world. And when you look at it, you'll recognize how did, how did Herod and his engineers and all those slaves even get this to this place without any sort of, 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 of machinery like we have today? And you may also say to yourself, this stone isn't going anywhere. So what do you make of Jesus' words? He said, not one stone of the temple complex will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. The Roman... The Roman army didn't throw down the stones in, in those supporting walls for the courtyard. The rain and the heat and the ice and the decay of 20 centuries haven't brought down those walls. Jesus must be speaking of something else. He must be speaking about, about he who gave up his life on a cross just hundreds of yards from from that stone wall, about how he who was laid in a garden tomb and then conquered death and, and rose from that tomb nearby. He, he must be speaking about he who, with his disciples, 40 days after his resurrection, went over the crest of that Mount of Olives and before their very eyes descended into heaven. He must be speaking about how he will return visibly. Every eye will see him, Scripture says. Everyone will see the Lord Jesus, as we read, revealed from heaven and blazing fire with his powerful angels. That's when the earth and everything in it will be burned up, Scripture says. That's when all man-made structures will be destroyed. That's when all God's first creation will melt in the heat. And as for humanity itself, that's when Jesus himself will carry out God's terrifying justice. We were reading about that earlier. On Judgment Day, God will prove once again to be a just and holy God. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. I shudder to think of when the Lord will carry out that justice. It saddens me to think of what Jesus described as, as wailing and weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. I would much prefer to ponder the glorious grace of that judgment day, the grace of all God's decisions. Long before you were born, God decided to choose you to be his own. He decided to, to bring you to faith in Jesus. He decided to, to keep you in the faith. That was your Savior God's decision. And it was right and good and 
gracious. Then he decided to grow your faith, to increase your love for God and, and, and for others, and to give you staying power during the persecutions and the pressures and the, and the troubles and the trials that inevitably come. That too was God's decision, and it was right and good and gracious. So on Judgment Day, when Jesus, by grace, counts you and me and many others worthy of his eternal kingdom for the sake of his holy name, we won't argue with him. When by grace he invites invites you and me and many others to receive the inheritance prepared for you from the creation of the world, we won't disagree with his decision. And when by grace he makes a, a new sky above us and a new earth beneath our feet, when he destroys death forever, when he gives us glorious bodies and, and, and the joy of living in his presence forever, we won't suggest that there should be another day, another way to do that. No, as the Apostle Paul has put it, on the day he comes, he'll be glorified with his holy people and marveled at among all those who have believed this includes you because you have believed the good news Jesus' messengers proclaimed. You have believed the good news that to carry out the justice of God on your behalf, your Savior suffered and died. And to prove that that was accepted by God, he rose from the grave. That blessing, that grace at Judgment Day, that includes you and me and all others who trusted his promise when he said, Stand firm, and you will win life.